Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Chase W. Dillon was just nine years old when he was cast in the role of Homer in the new Amazon Prime series, The Underground Railroad. The show is based on Colson Whitehead's 2016 novel, and it's directed by Academy Award winner Barry Jenkins. In the series, Homer is a young black boy whose freedom is purchased by a white slave catcher, played by Joel Edgerton. Rather than embracing that freedom, Homer chooses to support Edgerton's character as he profits from capturing and torturing formerly enslaved people. It's a difficult story to come to terms with, but it's one that is expertly and hauntingly told by this young Connecticut actor. All the smart men talking about manifest destiny, like it's some new idea. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Homer, manifest destiny. Manifest destiny. Taking what is rightfully yours, your property, whatever you deem it to be, sir. And all the others taking their places so you could do such taking. Very good, Homer. Thank you, sir. Very good. In an interview for TV Guide, Barry Jenkins called Homer's character an enigma. He said, quote, he was the most difficult character in the whole show for me. You want to save him. And now Connecticut's very own Chase W. Dillon brings that role to life. This hour, two actors with ties to Connecticut are making an impact on the screen and in the state. Later, we'll talk to Michael Jai White about the new mini-major movie studio he's opening in New Haven. But first, 11-year-old Chase W. Dillon from Greater Hartford. He talks about his role in the Underground Railroad, and I asked him how he got into acting. Um, well, I just, you know, um, I woke up one day and I just I just saw all these kids, you know, on Nickelodeon, Disney, and all these other movies, and I was like, wow, that looks really fun. And I've been having dreams ever since um, that I'm like on stages and acting. So I've been having visions that I was acting that I that um that it would go publicly and stuff like that. I kept seeing it and kept seeing it and kept seeing it, and I was like, Ma, I, I'm I'm dreaming to be an actor. I want to be an actor. And then she was like, okay, the opportunity is going to come. And probably not even like two weeks later, we get a call saying that somebody wants to um, submit me into a boot camp in Las Vegas for acting. And so um, I went to a boot camp in Las Vegas. And it was, you know, like all kinds of boot camps for all kinds of things, acting, singing, um, modeling, writing, anything you could think of. It was boot camps. And uh, from going to the acting boot camp, um, 
you know, we did a whole bunch of drills and things like that. And, um, and that's where I first, you know, and I first started acting three years ago. So Chase, you had this dream, you saw yourself doing what you wanted to do, what you saw in other places. You did the work to make it happen. But you also talked about sharing that dream with your mother. How important was it to have your family support that dream and help you make that dream a reality to become an actor? Well, I just love my family so much. And I just love them for, you know, supporting me in any way uh, for acting and anything I do. And I know they want the best for me. And so I just really love them for that. And they're, they're supporting me in any kind of way. And I just love them. <laughs> you said you started acting three years ago. You booked yes. the role Homer two years ago. And now at 11, you are in this role. So for our listeners who may not yet have seen the series, Homer is this young man, a young boy who was previously enslaved and now works to capture other enslaved people who have escaped freedom. Chase, that's very difficult to watch, understanding that history. But I imagine for you, playing that role is also difficult. Talk to us about playing the role of Homer in this important series and how you navigate all of that. Uh, Well, playing the role of Homer wasn't... um... It wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult at all uh, to play the role. Uh, you know, being on set, I was, you know, enclosed because to to get me away from it because they didn't want the kids to see that. So, um, so I was really enclosed um, and I didn't really see like all the scenes of the show. Um, but it wasn't difficult to play the role of Homer and it wasn't difficult to be on set either because I knew it was a movie. And so I knew it was a movie and that happened all back then. And so it didn't really bother me. How do you prepare for your roles and in particular to play Homer? Um, well, how I prepare is, you know, just reading the script and over and over and over again. And um, I do a lot of research um, about, you know, what is pertaining to the script. So I do a lot of research on that. And, you know, I just uh, get the script and I just read it over and over and over until I get every word right. And then I read it by myself and then I go with my mom and then we read it back and forth. And so, yeah, that's really pretty much how I get ready. This is an important series, as I said, is based on the Colson Whitehead book, The Underground Railroad. And we're starting to hear a lot more people interested in that history and interested in learning about the Underground Railroad. What do you hope comes out of this project? What is it that you want people to think about or to learn about? Well, I know the Underground Railroad is definitely going to shine a light on a dark history. Um, and, you know, I just think the Underground Railroad will open people's eyes. 
I think that it will like open people's eyes and let people see the bigger picture of racism and justice and all this other stuff. And it will definitely open their eyes because some people's eyes are closed and they don't want to see it. They don't want to see it and their eyes are closed. But this, when they watch this, this will open their eyes. It'll open a door to the dark history and a light will come through the door and enlighten it all up. Chase, you are part of bringing that light and you are part of sharing that history. What would you say to other young people your age who may say, that dark history is scary or I'm not sure that I want to learn about it because I just want to be a kid? What do you say to other young people about the need to understand that history? Well, you know, it's great for young kids to start learning now because we can tell all these stories when we grow up and all the stories of black people and all the stories of our culture and all the stories of what happened to our culture. We can go ahead and tell, we can make a whole book about it, for instance. We can make a whole podcast about it and all these other things. So for all for all the people that's scared of it, there's nothing to be scared of. It's not scary at all. And, you know, um, it's not scary at all. And I do a lot of research on the Underground Railroad because I love doing research about my culture. And so, you know, just doing research is very educational and um, educational and fun. I like to learn about where I come from. And so, um, yeah, don't be scared about it at all. And it's great to learn about your history because you could tell a story one day. I think that's an important message for young people, but for a lot of adults of not being afraid to learn and being excited to learn. Chase, you've worked with some big people like Barry Jenkins and Brad Pitt. Who are some of the actors and people in the industry that inspire you or that maybe you hope to work with someday? Uh, Well, just in general, I would love to work with Will Smith. Um, I would love to work with Denzel Washington. And I would love to work, especially, like, I, I would love to work with Joel Edgerton and Tuso and Betu again. It's heavy hitters, which we love to hear. You're an actor. You have these dreams about working with other people who also need to work with you. You're a scholar who's interested in history. But what do you like to do beyond acting and beyond learning? What brings you joy? Uh, Well, you know, just hanging out with my family brings me a lot of joy. Um, I love going to family parties and things like that. Uh, You know, just hanging out with my two twin brothers. Um, They're five, so I hang out with them a little bit. Um, And so... uh, I love to serve the community. Um, We have this, I have a company. I'm CEO of a company and ambassador. Uh, It's called Kingdom International Economic Development Corporation, KIEDC. And so um, we go to New Haven and we distribute food to the people that need it uh, for free. And I'm also building a children's hospital Uh, with KIDC. I'm building a free children's hospital 
And um, so it's going to be a hospital that children can go in because, you know, all these other hospitals are like really expensive. And if somebody's like in really need of help, they can't pay and they, they can't afford it. It's, it's a big medical bill. So I thought of the idea to bring this idea to life. Cause I thought of, man, these, these kids, these kids, some of these kids are dying because their parents can't pay the medical bill. You know, that their parents have to take care of them. If, if, even if they're in like really, really need of help, their parents have to take care of them, but they have no experience. And so I just looked at all these children that are dying and like are, that are deathly ill and it, it just hurts me. So I just thought of the idea to open a children's hospital for free. So we don't, so you don't have to pay the huge fee that people usually have to pay and you can come get help. Chase, I want to be like you when I grow up. I'm so impressed that you had the success, but that you're using that as an opportunity to help other people and to contribute to the community what keeps you grounded and what keeps you focused as you're doing all of these amazing things for yourself and for other people? Well, what keeps me grounded and, you know, just is God. That's who keeps me grounded. Um, I always keep God first and God is with me always. June 4th is now recognized as Chase W. Dillon Day here in Connecticut. How did it feel to get that recognition to know that you have your entire state behind you? Well, I'm just really grateful and humble um, for them to give me that opportunity uh, to, you know, have my own day. And it's just like really, really exciting. And I just thank the mayors of uh, Bloomfield and Hartford. Um, I thank them and the attorney general. Um, it's just very exciting. <laughs> and I imagine it's exciting and it's a bit overwhelming to think about all that's happening. But I want to ask you, what's next? What are the upcoming projects or dreams for Chase Dillon? Uh, well, I can't talk um, much about um, some of them, but I am working on a animation right now. I, I am a lead character in an animation, so I'm working on that right now. And a lot, a lot of auditions are coming in and I've gotten pinned for a lot of things. Um, and I've gotten, you know, casted for a lot of things. And so it's just, it just keeps coming and coming. Well, we know it will continue to come for you, and we know you will continue to make the most of it. And we're excited to hear and see what will come next for you. Chase W. Dillon is an actor from the Hartford area who plays the character Homer in Amazon Prime's new series, The Underground Railroad. Chase, thank you so much for joining Disrupted. Thank you for having me. Coming up, actor Michael Jai White is a Bridgeport native. He's the first African-American to portray a major comic book character in a major motion picture. He talks about his career and his plans for gigantic studios in New Haven. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This is Disrupted. Stay with us.
That's dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever. We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, hunkies from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And he's better than Chef Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother, your death will not go unavenged. And put the dope on the streets. It's my nephew Bucky. He OD. He's back in the game and is playing for keeps. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. In 2009, Michael Jai White played the lead character in the now cult classic Black Dynamite. It's an action comedy White wrote as an homage to the exploitation genre that was popular in the 70s. The films allowed black actors, writers, directors, and producers to tell their own stories on their own terms, even if it was controversial. As the lead character in the superhero film Spawn, Michael Jai White became the first African-American to portray a major comic book character in a major motion picture. For decades, he's had regular roles in movies and on television, including playing boxer Mike Tyson for HBO and starring in Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married? Now he's moving back to Connecticut to open Gigantic Studios. It's a mini major movie studio in New Haven. Michael Jai White, welcome to Disrupted. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, you've had a lot of success in Hollywood, which can be a very difficult place to navigate. But many people Mm -hmm. may not realize that you have roots right here in Connecticut. Talk to us about growing up in Bridgeport and how that shapes the path that you now follow. Well, I mean, I, I consider myself extremely lucky to uh, be in the industry that I'm in and to have grown up in Bridgeport. Uh, it's such a diverse place. Uh, you know, it's got it borders with like Westport and, you know, you got just such a diversity of, of uh, upper middle class and then very rich to, to very poor. And I had, you know, I had to the uh, benefit of growing up with people who are, I had friends that's in the, in the projects as well as mansions, you know? So, um, and so I, you know, I kind of dealt with every kind of person above, you know, across the spectrum. So it it was great. It was great for me. Um, And uh, it it really, it really feels good to come back because then it's kind of like being so many places and, you know, around the world and stuff. Uh, there are certain qualities that I, I'm so thankful that I that I got from being in a place like Connecticut. When I come back and reconnect with the folks there, you know, it just feels really warm. And it, it's like I feel it's like New Englanders. We, we got we got a great balance. So, you know, I, I, I like checking back into that. You know, as someone who did not grow up in Connecticut, I grew up in Virginia. I had this image that Connecticut was just all about the uber rich. And then moving here, seeing the diversity in a city like Bridgeport of people from immigrant backgrounds, from different class backgrounds, different ethnicities, all living together. You talked about the sort of joy of coming back home. And we're going to talk about the studio and, and what that means. But what was it about the experiences of Bridgeport beyond the people that you were able to meet that made you say, this is something that I connect to even if I move away? It's um, you know, c- coming back to Bridgeport, it's it's kind of like uh, kind of what I was saying is just that the um, uh, 
the environment there. It, it's kind of, it, I've been told that I, I don't have an accent, right? Anywhere in the world, when people meet me, they go, well, I don't, you, you know, you don't sound like anything, <laughs> which is kind of funny. They're like, because it's kind of rare, but in New York, that's just a few miles south of us. And Massachusetts, that's just above us. Folks, where, where we're from in the Bridgeport area, like, no, we have this neutral accent, or non-accent. And I think that's kind of an analogy of like what we are, which is like representative of, of everybody. The idea of um, bringing it back, bringing the industry back uh, to where I feel like, you know, these are real folks. I mean, it's funny, but, but the industry is supposed to be about real folks. And then uh, as, we, as we see, it gets further and further away from that. And, um, and have you believe real folks are the Hollywood folks and it should be the other way around. So, you know, I've always been influenced by, like I say, real folks. And despite being in Hollywood, I noticed a difference, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's just good to be back home with people I feel like I really identify with. And uh, part of you know, my, my main job is I'm an entertainer and I'm a servant. And so how best to serve the people that I minister to, you know, my audience, is to, to, to stay close to what's real and, and what's, what's rooted. I, 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 uh, I feel like in this day and time when things get so convoluted, um, that is, is good to tap into authenticity. One of the benefits of coming back home and tapping into that authenticity is that it also can fuel the stories that you tell and the need to represent the diversity of those stories. You are a graduate of Southern Connecticut State University. You're also a trained and accomplished martial artist in many different traditions. How did you make the transition or the pathway into acting and entertaining? Well, the it, some might think that the two um, kind of been, uh, kind of coexist like in a different way because uh, because a lot of people who got into the movie industry, like uh, the Van Dams or the Seagulls or whatever, got there through martial arts. But that's really hasn't been my tr- my path. Uh, I, I got in as an actor who happened to be a martial artist, a lifelong martial artist. So I made my living as an actor separate from any martial arts stuff whatsoever. That's why I continue to do movies that are not in the martial art realm at all. And, and, and those actually exceed the, the action stuff that I do. So it's kind of like they coexist, but they're, but it's, one is not, I mean, uh, the martial arts helps me in my acting in the same way it helps me in life. It's about discipline. It's about overcoming obstacles, and which is the, the biggest component of martial arts. But, um, but, the, but it, the martial arts wasn't a vehicle to get me where I am uh, dramatically in my acting. So I have to tell you, I have to be completely honest. You are so good at your craft that you have played this these roles that sometimes the audience forgets that it's an actor 
and you convince us to hate the character because you play it so well. I'm thinking of some of the films that you've been in where I thought, this must really be not the guy to be nice to people. But you've also been very clear about this is the role that I'm playing. This is what I'm stepping into, but also understanding how the roles you play speak to some of the real life experiences that people have. How important is it for you as your acting career has evolved to take risk and to step into spaces that people may not expect you as an African-American actor to be? I, I know um, the stuff that I think um, I can lend to, and there's certain risks that are things that I, I just don't in, don't interest me. You know, I I, I think my my um, the job of the actor is to um, emulate humanity honestly, you know, and um, you know it could be a very good teacher. I was you know a lot of people don't know that I was a, I was a school teacher before I was an actor. And that component, that social component of acting, that that um, that's that social part of it, being looking at life through another human being's eyes, that that's a a, a very valuable teaching element. Um, not only uh, does it inform other people about others, but also teaches me about life when I've. When I have to take on a role, I have to look at life through another perspective. And, and it forces me to look at life completely different. I mean, one of the most um, like um, inspiring roles I've had was, it was a, I played a slave in a movie uh, years back. And, and the uh, revelations I had were, were amazing and life-changing. I, you know, I played a, a slave who lived on just one plantation his entire life. And then I thought, well, what is, what are the things that this, this man, you know, in, admires in life about life? And I was like, well, the, 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 the singing of someone's voice is going to represent like an, an orchestra, like the, the flowers are the most, most beautiful thing in this person's life. I mean, this is, the stars, all the, all these things that this person would have to value and cherish above everything else. And then after that movie, I realized the flowers, the singing voice, and all these things still are valuable. There's still things that can be cherished. And if I look at life um, for the things that really matter, like this character had to, about family and all that, then, hey, you know, um, you know <laughs> it, it's still... Uh, it's still valuable. So let's talk about the learning. And you strike me as someone who is committed to continuous learning. You said in another interview, I like to be wrong because every time I'm wrong, I learn something. Talk to us about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I feel people are making a, a real big um, mistake when they're, when they're, they try to protect themselves or their ego from, you know, they want to be right all the time. That, that, is, that is such a, a missed opportunity. I, I really do look forward to being wrong because every time I'm wrong, I learn something and I step my game up. I get a chance to be better. And my goodness, everybody, 
benefits. Everybody that means anything to me benefits more the, the more I learn, you know, my children benefit. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and for me to go, wow, I didn't know that. I was wrong about that. I thought this was, that's, that's a high in life, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really a philosophy I have. And it's, it's, it's proven to be such a, such a valuable thing because in arguments, I'm trying to prove the other side right first. I'm trying to prove you're, 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 you're right. And so me trying to prove you right, I'll find out where I think the flaw in your thinking is because it's something that you're probably not thinking. And so, you know, once I prove that I understand the opposition and what their point is, they're receptive to hearing what I have to say. You know, many times people just argue and they never meet up at any place where each, you know, each other can learn. One of the strengths of art and in all of its manifestations is that art allows us to confront those kinds of questions, to be willing to be wrong and to learn and engage in a way that isn't as, you know, straightforward as some people may assume. You are the first African-American actor to portray a major comic book character in a major film. And we're hearing a lot of conversation these days about representation of cultures and representations of communities. I'm thinking here of all the controversy around In the Heights and the ways in which creatives are expected to shoulder all of the representation without allowing the art to provoke those considerations. How does this function from your point of view as an actor, but now as a director and a writer and as someone who is creating more opportunities to tell stories? Well, I mean, I'm just going to continue to do my best work no matter what. It, you know, hopefully people like it. I mean, I'm looking at, I look at the art and from the perspective of, I, I don't really, um, you know, marginalize myself as anything, even you know, even though I'm a, a black man, I don't limit myself from only black stories or anything. I, I, I like universal, you know, global, that, that whole thing. Um, if, I mean, it, it, like I say, I'm, the, I'm a very eclectic person. And I think diversity is, is wonderful. But um, I have a thing that I want to prove is that it doesn't matter if you, if you have great stories. And, uh, and, and I know some things, I mean, it's a fine line because there's, there's always going to be a, a pushback because you say, oh, I want to tell black stories. And then, you know, that evokes people going, oh, wait a minute. Well, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't there be just stories? And, I, and I'm one of those people who's like, yeah, I want to tell stories that might happen to be black, you know, um, but universal stories. I think people make a mistake when they're only preaching to one segment of the population. Because when it comes down to it, show business, it, that, that word business is there for a reason. You got to make the money back. And, it's, and the people, people speak loud. And so I don't care what your personal agenda is. You got you to make that money back so you can get a chance to continue doing your art. There are a lot of people who say the most important color in that industry is green. That idea of, are you generating the revenue? Are people recouping their money? But 
there are a lot of young people who look up to you, who admire the work that you've done, the the way that you've been able to chart this course. And I'm thinking especially here in Connecticut, you know, growing up for a lot of young people in Bridgeport is very difficult and they face a lot of challenges of people not seeing their potential. As you are telling these stories that you want to be universal, how do you respond to people saying, but you're also a role model or an exemplar for young people of color in Bridgeport, in this state, and really across the country? Oh, absolutely. I'm, a, I'm absolutely a role model. But, you know, the way I go about it when I say, okay, uh, I may look toward the story that when I say a story that happens to be Black, but it's universal, um, that as that example, I hope I'm setting an example for others to say, hey, it's, you know, you have your, your story to tell, make it, make it universal. It is a specific story, but if you're just only telling it as, you know, you're only preaching to one segment of the population, that's, that's a disservice. You should be able to make that unique story understood by the globe, you know? So yeah, it's it's not an either or, like it's gotta be this one thing or not, because there is that, you know, that that thing. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm living proof to that, that, you know, I tend to connect myself with stories that are, you know, large, you know, even with Black Dynamite, that's very specific, okay? The, that's a black exploitation era that only lasted for about five years, right? But that movie's been heralded by, I mean, it had a standing ovation in in the Czech Republic, in Carlo Vivardi, that in 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 in, in France, in all, so many places, because even though it's very it's a very specific movie about a specific thing other people identify, you know what I mean? Because the, the story is to minister to the entire world. And then your segment benefits the most by that. Because, you know, it's like, it's like you can preach to the choir if you choose to, and the choir will be happy. But, you know, I feel like your, your task, the task of the artist is to make your art identifiable to other human beings. After the break, we continue our conversation with actor Michael Jai White. He'll talk about his plans for Gigantic Studios in New Haven. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This is Disrupted. Stay with us. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Today we're talking with actor Michael Jai White. He grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Southern Connecticut State University. Michael is in the process of building a new mini-major movie studio in New Haven, and it's the first of its kind in the state. 
I asked him why he's launching the studio in Connecticut. It's where I'm from. Uh, it's where I feel probably the best. I mean, I sleep well in Connecticut. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why, maybe because you can't see the air like in, in LA, but it feels good to my spirit. And um, to be, you know, I've been connected to Bridgeport in, in Connecticut ever since I left. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a school teacher before I was a, an actor there in the Bridgeport public school systems. And since then I've come back countless times to, to do motivational speaking and, you know, and uh, participate in outreach programs that um, are helping kids like I was. I've, I've been basically on my own since I was 14. So I feel like I owe uh, a debt of gratitude to where I'm from. And it's just about repaying and, and doing things that mean something to me spiritually. And that's really what it's about. And then align myself with people who are not just um, business people, but good people. Um, to be at a place where, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, it's a very solid investment for a lot of people, but it's not about just the money. So I, I, it's about people I really want to um, get to the finish line with and people who are, I feel are good people who really want to do good with their efforts. So, I mean, as corny as it may be, I mean, I think, well, I'm in a place where I can dare to have it my way. And I'd, I'd rather be with good people than rich people. I feel like we need to put that quote on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. What do you want the creation of the studio to mean for the local community so that it's not just an economic development opportunity, but tapping into the creatives who are here or providing opportunities for local people? What will that look like for you? Well, first of all, personally, that will be, that's kind of like my real job. I mean, that's what makes me the happiest. I'm going to be okay. You know, uh, I'm going to be all right. I don't need, you know, <laughs> I don't need much. I I I'm good. It's about giving back. Right. And, um, and I love those look on faces that have trusted in me. And, um, and, you know, if I can make, if I can enhance their life, that's part of what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm doing in this industry. That's like I say, I'm a servant. I'm, I'm an entertainer. That's what it is. I, and, and I, I borrow this quote. I believe it was um, Sam Clemens that said, um, two, the two most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day you find out why. And so I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I know that I get more uh, satisfaction out of like giving people opportunities. That's the thing that excites me more than anything. I mean, the movies that I've directed and whatever, it's the faces of the people that come to work and who, who strive against all odds to be able to exist in this, this business. And so how is that, I don't know, how is that not the most refreshing thing on the planet? I, I, to me, it's like, why would I want anything, <laughs> anything 
less or more than that than, than to be able to come back and uh, put people, you know, have people, you know, to be gainfully employed in something so magnificent as this industry and the storytelling and all that. And then to be able to introduce that to what I, I have no doubt is why probably one of the most talented untapped resources on the planet, you know? Uh, yeah, it just, to me, makes all the sense in the world. And I'm, I couldn't be happier unless I'm functioning at my, the top of my potential, which would be this. You are able to pursue your passion and to pursue it with purpose. And as you said, to pursue it, not just for singular success, but creating collective community opportunities. Is there a project that you are most looking forward to, or is it the total experience of what you're building and curating here? It's absolutely the total experience. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to do what's in my heart. I'll be able to teach, you know? I'll be able to function as me entirely, you know? So that's what I'm, I'm man, it's like, what a gift to give to my kids. And, uh, and just, you know, I, I long to be eventually behind the scenes, you know? Um, it's almost like, yeah, the stuff I'm doing with the acting and all that stuff is kind of like I'm banging the drum saying, look at me so I can get these things done. And then, you know, to, to eventually be the guy behind the scenes. I, um, one of my personal heroes is a guy named Bob Moses. And there's a, there's a reason why a lot of people don't know who he is, you know, is the way he's done things behind the scenes, which means a lot. And it's about, you know, it's about what you affect. And, and it's not about the accolades, you know, it's, in, in fact, that's the, that's the part I have to endure is being the front man. Uh, I'm terribly shy uh, and I will shriek from compliments. I'm not comfortable with that, but I'm doing, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, front and center and you know that's just something i have to you know kind of come to terms with you know being the front guy you know having it my way would be that kind of shriek in the background you know kind of slink to the background a little later when i can uh, but you know which is exactly what i i intend on doing in the future and you know and, and being able to help uh, politically and, and help those people who, who were in need, which, uh, you know, I, I think is the my highest function. Michael Jai White is actor, director, writer, and founder of the state's first mini-major studio, Gigantic Studios. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for yours. You can follow all of Michael's latest projects via his Instagram page, at Michael J. White. Disrupted is produced by Jane Scoble Wolf, Shekinah Collier, and Katie Talarski. Our interns are Macy Carvalho and Kelly Langevin. Do you have feedback or ideas for the show? You can email us at disrupted at ctpublic.org. I'm Kalila Brown Dean. Thanks for listening.